I, when I was looking at the, the topic for the panel today, which is production and planning for 2023. So we're gonna look ahead today at 2023 and some of the decisions that you can make now that will uh, help you be most successful in the coming year. And in thinking about that, when I was at Cultivate uh, in Columbus, Ohio a couple weeks ago, I sat through the keynote from Dr. Charlie Hall, who's our industry's uh, statistician and sort of the, the guy who studies the economics of our industry at, at Texas A&M. And a few different things that, that he said stuck, stuck out to me. First is that our industry is a $348 billion industry. That's a big number, and that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of money being, going into our economy and something that uh, certainly the, the whole world takes notice of. And we also create 2.32 million jobs. And I think if the labor market was a little different, that number would certainly go up. But at the moment, it's about 2.32 million jobs created by our industry. He also talked about 2021 as being the pinnacle of sales, you know, forever, an all-time sales high for our industry. And I know that, that that sounds exciting and that it, it certainly was, uh, was energizing to our industry, but I think that also meant a lot of work. So I want you to give yourselves and your peers in this tent a round of applause for getting through the last couple years and doing so well. Because with that kind of growth comes a lot of hard work and dedication, and uh, it's something that's really uh, fun to see, certainly at an event like, uh, like today. The last uh, statistic I do want to share, and this gets to where Charlie Hall was talking about, if you want to compare sales from year to year, you know, you can look back a year and look at your sales growth uh, from year to year, but what he challenged us to do is to look back at 2019. So look at 2022, compare that to 2019, because 2020, 2021 were somewhat of anomalies. And through the statistics that he has gathered, through all the research that he does, about 100% of our industry is up 2022 versus 2019, which again is very exciting. So enough looking backwards, because that's not what we're here to do today, and certainly not what you're doing as you walk around the gardens looking forward to the new varieties and all the new exciting products and innovations we're going to be bringing to our customers. So that's what we're going to do in this panel discussion. So I want to welcome our two panelists, uh, we have Mindy Cleason, who is co-owner of RC, who's a wholesale grower uh, serving wholesale customers here in Chicagoland. So we're excited to have Mindy. Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you. And uh, my second panelist is Jim Kennedy, who's the national sales director for Ball Seed. And I always like to mention that Jim also has been a grower and grew up in a family greenhouse business. So he knows a lot about our industry from all different angles and uh, is certainly going to make a fantastic panelist for the discussion today, which is production and planning for 2023. And really, the objective of this is to provide you with ideas and insights so that you can make the best decisions that you can for your own business looking at 2023 and the 2023 season. So. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into a first question, and perhaps when you guys are, are thinking about uh, your, your response to this question, maybe you can mention a little bit about your role and, and how you feel that it, it's relevant and gives you the insight that uh, a lot of folks here under the tent are going to be interested in. So we'll start with a quote 
from Confucius, who I think is a lot like my dad, has kind of a quote for everything, but study the past if you would define the future. So we do have to look back as we look forward. So what have you learned from your experiences in 2022, even back to 2021 in your business, that you're planning to apply to the upcoming season? And whoever wants to get started, go ahead. So what we ended up doing was backing up our production, our order deadlines, not only um, with our suppliers, talking to our suppliers, finding out what they needed, but then going to our customers and asking them to look at their needs earlier. And that really gave us the, the edge to forecast for 2022 um, a lot easier. So. Yeah, certainly what happened in 2021 with the surge in demand made planning for 22 really challenging. A lot of supply chain challenges. A couple things that we really focused on at Balseed was on, we wanted to increase the percentage of our plugs and liners that were delivered on trucks. We had seen a lot of uh, surge in demand, people working at home, and they wanted everything in FedEx and UPS. In FedEx and UPS, service levels on horticultural products went down. <laughs> pretty dramatically. There was a lot of plugs and liners that were jumbled, upside down, beat up. And so in going into 22, we wanted to increase the percentage delivered on trucks. So we invested in a lot of, we reduced our truck minimums, wanted to make it more accessible to get plugs and liners through a truck delivery. That was a, a big factor for us. We also talked a lot, a lot about thinking about your businesses. How, how can you find ways to improve going into from 21 to 22, because 21 was a kind of a year for the ages. So we say, okay, how can we get better than that? So we look for ways in particular around people development and developing our team. A lot through, we've had some retirements, some of our long serving team members that are getting close to the end of their career. A lot in our business comes down to service and it's a complicated product offering. It's a complicated sale. So having veteran team members, and then so we spent a lot of time training our new team members. So those are a couple of things that we focused on, team and truck delivery. How about uh, discussions that you may have had with your customers about how their sales went in 2020, 2021? Um, how did that impact some of the decisions that you made or how close of a communication line did you have with them? Well, we had a lot of co customer conversations some more friendly than others. Uh, but the outcome was that we bought a lot of seed because we did not want to run out of seed. There's some seed challenges, like things like French marigolds might come to mind, but there just simply was not enough around the world to service the needs of our North American growers. So we, we bought aggressively on product lines like seed, and we also sourced cuttings uh, from around the world, some from uh, farm names that I could not pronounce and still don't know how to spell but I did find their country on the map. So we were getting product from all over the place, literally to try and service and supply the demands of our customers in 21 and 22. For us on the 21 into 22, we um, had a lot of communication with our customers um, as far as finding out what their needs and their forecasting was at an earlier basis, where they thought they were going to increase, where they were gonna hold off. Because going from, I mean, 2022, in 2021 were so strong for them, it was, you know, they're trying to navigate really how to forecast for 
2022 and not wanting to overshoot and have way too much inventory. Mm. So it was a, it was really everybody looking at their product line and figuring out where the highest parts were and do they want to stay and what was their increase going to be. But they were very sensitive to wanting to know what is the overall increase of pricing going to be because we could all see where that increasing was coming in. But it was hard. I think we all kind of got surprised, too, as the year went on with all the additional costs that came in after we thought we knew what the expense was going to be. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, certainly something we're going to dig into a little bit more as, as we move forward in this discussion is, you know, how do those cost increases, supply chain challenges, including labor and everything else that factors in, how do we look at that? from a historical perspective, but also uh, looking at it for the coming year. So thank you guys. One thing I do want to mention is that if any of you have questions or thoughts or anything you want to add to this discussion, we definitely want this to be a, an open forum. Um, and I will be happy to come around with a microphone and, uh, and let you either share, share your insights or, or ask any questions of our panelists or anyone else. Uh, so looking at it, Let's get into some, some details here, and we're going to look at, at budgeting for 2023, and I know that's something that everybody loves to do from year to year is put those budgets together, but it's certainly uh, a necessity, especially these days, um, and a little challenge. So in budgeting for 2023, there will be additional cost pressures, most likely, um, just with the way uh, everything's going right now. Uh, looking back, our industry average, and this again came from Charlie Hall, in 2021 there was a 10% uh, cost increase, 2022 was another 8%, and the projection for 2023, and this is across all different inputs that go into, uh, into a green industry business, is another 3.6%, which seems a little bit conservative in my mind, but... Uh, Let's talk to the panelists about that. So what cost pressures are you seeing and how are those impacting your planning in either the percentage of units or the dollar uh, percentage that, that impacts your budgeting? Well, for us, what we're seeing is a significant increase in soil input, um, plastic, labor, and then freight. Those are all that take into account for a lot of what we're seeing. Um, and the notification of when those price increases are coming through is really throwing us for a loop. Um, talking to Bob Hamrick, who is our lead production head grower, he was sharing with me that back in March at the when we were getting fertilizer um, loaded onto the truck, he's like, I got notification that the price doubled. And how do you incorporate that into what you've already priced out? So it's that has been a challenge for us is in every aspect when it comes to freight as well. So um, labor, if you're not paying more, it's hard to get people to come in to work for you. And that's been another thing that we've been looking at as well. And you have to factor all those things in when you're budgeting as, as well, um, which we all know. Um, how have you, uh, I guess, have you passed along these cost increases or how have you um, tried to, to recoup some of these additional costs for your business? When it came in for the pricing for 2022, we were able to incorporate a majority of that. We increased overall 10%, um, which was good for us for that year. But there was additional cost increase that, we, that caught us by surprise that then Jim and I were talking about right beforehand, that those 
prices, a lot of those increases we absorbed as a company. So for 2023, do you look at how much do you absorb, did you absorb? And now even though that maybe prices aren't going up as high, you still have to try to recoup some of what you absorbed. Because if you don't, you might not be there in a couple of years. So it's looking at the longevity along with the numbers. And not just current costs, but what did the past do as well? Mm -hmm. So what do you yeah. have on that? I mean, it's yeah, it's a big factor because a lot of the inflationary pressure that came in during the calendar year of 2022, we had actually negotiated costs from our vendors prior to that strong inflationary period. So our pricing from 21 to 22 was in the low single digits in terms of a cost increase, like say about two and a half, three percent. But then during the year, our suppliers took on massive inflationary pressure, as well as we did in terms of freight and transport and just everything costing more. So the from 22 to 23, we're looking at those costs being passed through from our vendors, because our vendors now we have our new pricing for 23 from our suppliers. And that's where we see the effect of the inflation in 22. So we're looking at, for example, in seed, we're seeing increases of about 5% on seed, on unrooted cuttings or anywhere from eight to nine, maybe up even to 10% on unrooted. And then on plugs and liners that are produced domestically, so you have that freight component, you have that soil component, you have labor, you have transportation. The costs on plugs and liners are looking at anywhere from nine up to even 12% kind of increases on domestically produced plugs and liners. So the, what we also do look for is a very stable uh, buying environment for our customers. So most of our programs are set on an annual basis. So we renew pricing here in the summertime, that pricing lasts for that year, and then it renews the following year. There are times and a rare exception that you might have to do something mid-year, but we try really hard to create that stable buying environment for you as our customers. So the, this kind of cost increases that you're reflecting on are, are real. It kind of fits what you read in the newspaper of about 9% type of inflation. And you know, couple that with the kind of year that we had in 2022, I think that's why we have the question on the panel, production and planning for 2023, because there's a lot of things to consider, questions that you should be asking yourself as you consider the best plan for your business for 2023. So does, does anybody out here under the tent, do any of you have, have questions related to what Mindy talked about, raising wholesale prices or, uh, or to Jim, related to the price of, of inputs? Oh, we have a question over here. Yeah, it's a great question. Just uh, a lot there packed into the question. Especially the, one of the key tenets of the question that was asked relates to that tipping point. When is too high too high where commercial property owners and uh, commercial property managers are going to say, hey, this isn't necessary, Can we, we might do without. I think that's really kind of the essence of the question and what solutions might we offer today in this tent for small growers and uh, industry partners, industry collaborators that are facing that type of conversation. So. That's a great question. Yeah. It, well, for us, because we do a lot of work with landscapers and garden center, I mean, landscapers, municipalities, and we are familiar with the budget cuts that they go through and the way that the 
the industry has shifted working from home, it's really put an interesting dynamic because a lot of landscapers, they don't even have their contracts signed until the end of the year. By the end of the year, at this point, it's becoming very tricky for them to secure good plant material because of the supply chain. Um, I don't have a good answer. I really don't. But it's a big problem because it's we're trying to forecast something that is a moving target at this point. Um, we, I have also seen historically where it's not always eliminated, but what they end up doing is the HOAs or the property managers, they reduce the amount of beds and they make it smaller, but they still are putting something out there to beautify. So it might not be an annual, but it might be perennials or it might be a smaller combination bud. So, but as far as the, you know, how do you plan? It's very difficult. And, and I'm sorry, because I wish I had it. It's like, oh, it, this is perfect answer here. So. Yeah, I think one of the principal parts of it, too, is on communication. So really getting an understanding from that property manager, commercial, you know, what is, what's the timeline? And as their supplier of plant material, working with them and proactively to st establish, like, we got to have a commitment by this date. Because the, the cost of you growing that product and then not being able to ship it has never been higher the cost of being wrong has never been higher. So we've got to get it right in terms of that communication flow with the stakeholders in the industry. Your communication to us is, as your supplier and then communication with your customer on what their expectations are, what their needs are. Uh, another factor to consider is the value that plants bring to people's lives. And that's something we learned a lot in the pandemic. Just unbelievable. And as businesses are recruiting team members, especially younger team members, the value that they see in plants and the aesthetic of that office as companies try and attract their team members to come back to the office, if, is it a nice place to work? Is it, does it look nice? And looking nice matters and plants make things look nice. So I think that's a little bit of a help for us. The other factor is the work from home. Because, and that kind of speaks to an, adapt, an adaptiveness. So if your business today is say 100% commercial landscape property management, I would encourage you to look at diversifying, like this idea of being resilient, like not having, say, all your eggs in one basket. That, so this idea of, like, because I think that the work from home is kind of the wind at our back as an industry, because if people are working from home two, three days a week, they're going to want it to look nice. And they might not be buying as many as a commercial property, but if each person buys a little bit, that kind of speaks to that diversification of you might be somebody you know, getting someone, a smaller landscaper to plant their house, buying plants at a garden center versus having that huge commercial planting. So it speaks to an adaptiveness or maybe a, a diversification of the revenue for your business. And I think that kind of talks about production planning for 2023 in terms of being that resilience. It is, and I agree with you. However, what she was saying I see as a big issue because a lot of the property managers, they don't even want to think about it until their budgets are set and they know, and that's towards the end of the year. So where I agree with you completely as far as the at-home people with shifting maybe their landscape, it's not commercial but more residential, I think I totally agree with you, but it leaves a hole for the commercial properties and really having them being able to tell their contractors which way they're going at a at an early time frame. So if an HOA has a, like their budget renews on January 1st, 
they don't know if they have the budget for plants. But you're having to buy plastic, soil, source right. cuttings. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a good point. Okay, so uh, that's one of those questions that I think uh, we can ask our peers while we're here today. Uh, find somebody who has a similar operation to yours and, and have that discussion because there's a lot, I think, that can be learned um, from other folks who might be going through the exact same uh, type of dynamics. So we have another uh, question or comment over here. More of a comment than a question. Um, regarding tipping point, um, I service the side of the business that mainly deals with executive or high-end landscapes. So these are large, elaborate properties with um, very sophisticated gardens compared to um, is salvia, daylilies, and Russian sage at an entryway. So what's happening now is there are at least five opportunities to touch that property with uh, seasonal color rotations or holiday or, or so on, in addition to maybe parties and special events that some of the residents have that they need extra stuff for. Uh, but what we're noticing is the spring program, early spring, before the main pl uh, plantings and the fall program are the ones that are getting cut back. Even uh, amazing rich people who are all very nice have budgets and they have to look at ways to sort of mitigate some of their own personal losses. So that's just something we're facing even working with these types of properties. Yeah, I think that's a good point related to the seasonality. So you gotta look at a year like this in 2022 what did we really learn from a year like this or what happened? You're <laughs> reflecting back on what happened. There's uh, well, one was weather. That's a huge factor. The weather was really rough across the country. But there's also a huge seasonality factor of when did plants sell and when did plants end up in the dumpster. And I think that that late, late spring into summer window is an area that we're anticipating in our customers' purchases being more conservative to really to support your point. Oh, we have another question over here. I do think that seasonality is always something to consider, and if you're seeing trends that it's shifting, that's something to take note of. So to kind of touch on you know, what the last two brought up, where I manage, it's a horticulture for a uh, country club, and for over 70 years, we've had horticulturist on staff to manage the properties. Now, this is a private country club. You got a lot of money to pour into this. And COVID hit, horticulturist was laid off. The money was not spent on flowers. The beds, you're talking about two acres worth of ornamental plantings left barren with nothing more than mulch and weed preventer. And these members were not happy with that. And you know, they're already experiencing a lot of stress with the pandemic, then coming back to something that they're already spending a lot of money on, their membership dues for this club, they wanted to see flowers. They wanted to see something attractive, pretty. And when it wasn't there, the very next year, they made a big step in the positive for, at least on my end, where they upped my budget. All of a sudden, you have, you know, nearly 15% more on your annual budget. You have interest, so they want to hear from you. They want to come out and they want to see your grounds and they want to hear what you have to say. So you're writing in the newsletter, you're, you know, informing your public on this, and it allowed 
me or it allowed our staff to basically take on that better, I don't know how I'm going to put this. We, we were able to put a bet, our best foot forward and with that gained momentum of interest, we can then take the horticulture program further than it was before for the last 70 plus years. So although it was hard and non-existent during COVID, uh, using that opportunity to take it forward if you can really helps. Yeah, good story of the power of plants. Exactly, yeah. Sometimes you need that, that pain or that lack of beautification to really uh, start to appreciate uh, what, what, what you have. Another comment over here. Hi, I'm Charlie Heller, and we own a garden center, and we also run a landscape business service, do a lot of uh, property management type stuff. Uh, our biggest challenge this year has been getting product to us. Is that going to be a problem in 2023? Because just today, I finally got a call that I'm going to get a semi-load of Cypress A that's supposed to have been in in January. <laughs> and we've already ordered multiple semi-loads of stuff that's not even going to be here till February, if we're lucky. So I'm asking, is the plug industry or whatever ball, is that going to be good or is that going to be sketchy too as far as supply yeah when it comes to when it comes to supply for the categories that ball seed is is strongest in primarily bedding plants perennials think of it as seeds and plugs unrooted cuttings and liners those are some of our core product offerings we also have several soil vendors that we work with and i feel like on the bedding plant side the inventory is going to be really strong what we're putting in the store in terms of seed that we're purchasing that we ship here from West Chicago, our seed inventories are going to be up. The product classes that we had challenges on last year have been solved for the most part. I'm sure there'll be a couple other ones that creep up. It's not going to be perfect. We know, if, like for example, like Dracaena spikes, going to be hard to find. But uh, in general, the seed inventories are going to be stronger, and our unrooted cutting farms are planting. And then our plug and liner capacity, our domestic suppliers like the Tagawas, the Bob's Markets, Dickman Farms, those kind of suppliers, our domestic suppliers of plugs and liners have capacity. Several of them have increased their footprint in order to be in the business. And I mentioned earlier about increasing the delivery of, on trucks so that we have less waste in the process. So we're investing in order fill and we're investing in quality, and we feel really solid on our ability to supply in our core business for 2023. Can I ask a question to that? When you say you invested more in the trucking, is that Ball investing in the trucking or the vendors investing in the trucking? How does that work? Yeah, Mindy's question is about, you know, uh, it's really related to, is Ball investing in the trucks or is the vendor? And it's really a combination of both. Okay. So some trucks, we actually route them ourselves through our own dispatch. Okay. And then others, we cooperate, collaborate with the supplier to run their own trucks. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, because we had the same issue that he just addressed, and we were curious on how it was going to look for 2023. Yeah, on establishing truck vendors, like, for example, we, we ship plugs from Denver, Colorado, down into Texas, into the southeast, southwest. We also ship plugs from New York to Michigan. And we're securing those drivers right now. And the rates we're paying are higher 
and that is reflected in the pricing, but we are securing the drivers, we're securing the equipment to make sure that the plugs go through. That's, but you have to have the logistics. Now the tree and shrub, trees and shrubs is not necessarily our core business, but I know there's been a lot of scarcity on trees because of the, you know, from, and they just have a longer crop time. The tree years are a little bit longer than, you know, we talk in days in plug business and they talk in years. So again, it'll probably come down to a lot of communication and having those discussions earlier than later to hopefully uh, mitigate some of those issues. Um, let's talk about labor. It's kind of a, a scary topic to, to bring up in a pleasant conversation, but we all deal with labor. We all are seeing the, the challenges of uh, both the compensation and the availability of labor. Um, one of the things that Charlie Hall mentioned in his uh, keynote at Cultivate was that during the pandemic, we saw three times the number of retirees that we normally see in a year. And at the same time, new business applications were up three times. So that's folks starting their own business. So that certainly uh, feeds into a, to a lack of labor. And then he also gave some, some data on compensation increases. Uh, and this is all in the green industry, 21%. Uh, it increased compensation 10% or more, 58% between 6 and 10%, and another 21% were up from 1% to 5%. So in looking at labor, uh, what challenges, and, and this, uh, we'll start with, with Mindy, what challenges are you facing with regard to access to labor or any sort of labor advice that you have for the audience? <laughs> Who said we don't have any? I think it was Leanne. <laughs> so with our labor force, we've, um, we had to rebuild last year. I think a lot of people had to rebuild, bring on uh, quite a few. I think we replaced half of our staff. And with, with that, um, a lot of it has to do with the one, what can you bring them in at? How much can you pay them? but also whether or not you have insurance benefits. And that's one thing that, as I was talking to my business partner, Jim, mentioned um, we have a lot of need for industry as a whole to be able to offer a good, strong insurance package for our companies, for our, our employees. But um, with the labor as well, the other thing that we're looking at is how much can you cross-train somebody? How many different hats can they wear? So if you're missing somebody at one day, can somebody else pick? If you have a planter, can that planter now do, be watering as well? So cross-training the ones that you do have and really making sure they're engaged. Their engagement and their knowledge is what we've really found. The more you can feed them with knowledge, the more respect responsive they are and they want to be there they want to help so i think that really focusing on procedures is really helpful for them and maintaining them i so. definitely hear a lot about the the cross training um even managing shifts differently yeah uh a lot of those different strategies have worked um and helped sort of streamline or make it more efficient but uh still it's hard to, to take place of a, of a human body in there working jim do you have any thoughts on labor well, it's a, it's a real challenge for sure, Bill. On the, you know, thinking about our plug and liner suppliers, where we source a lot of the material from, we work really closely with them. We get a really good feel for what's going on in their business. And there's a lot going on with the H2A. I think the H2A has been a real saving grace for the entire industry. You know, working with our, a lot of our 
plug-in liner suppliers have switched to H2A in the last couple of years, and it's really helped them to get the job done. It's been a super important direction. Reflecting on it right here, you know, they put an Amazon warehouse over on 59, uh, not that far from here. You know, that has an effect on our local labor force here at Ball. But the, we've also invested a lot in our team because ours is a complex business and we want to develop and train our team. And the, it's so important for, the, for your teams to feel valued and appreciated. And if it costs a little bit more, we feel like that's super important because we want the longevity, we want the knowledge of how we do things around here to treat our customers well, to understand the business well. So it does cost a little bit more but I would say it's totally worth it from, because you, you want people that want to be there. Like Mindy said, like they want to help, they want to be there. And to find that magic point that gets that going, I think it's important for all of us to do because the thing about like, why do we do it? We do it for the customer. So in, we do it for the customer. So if we don't have good team members then they don't do a good job, the quality's not there, the experience isn't good and we lose the customer. That's, not a good outcome. It's much harder to win that customer back than it is to offer a, a compensation package and an experience that's going to want to make them do a good job. So labor uh, will continue to be a challenge. Um, it's one that, again, I encourage you to develop networks with your peers. Have these kind of conversations with businesses like yours in the area and around, around the country. And that's one thing our industry does very well is share information uh, between between businesses, so I would uh, find find a group and start kicking around ideas, and you'll probably uh, find a lot of things that you can learn from from your peers when it comes to labor and different strategies. So my my final question for uh, for you guys, Jim and Mindy, is a, a big picture kind of question. So what? When you think about our industry and how we uh, respond to challenges, whether that's recessions or um, or other unforeseen circumstances, what makes our industry more or less prepared for the uncertainty that's facing the economy as we look forward to 2023? And it's, it, there's all sorts of uncertainty. We said it uh, earlier today. The only thing you can really plan for is change in complexity. But what, what do you think really makes our industry uh, prepared for this kind of uncertainty? Well, for me, and our experience at RCOP is the our industry and our customers, our vendors, they are transparent, they're open, they, um, they're willing to share the information, but they're also, they get it. There are so many customers of ours that I've, I fret over having to share information. And as soon as I present the issue, they're like, oh, I get it we're having the same issue in this area of our business. So I think that's really unique because when I talk to other people in under, other industries, they don't share like we do. It's, it's like a family that is not experienced by a lot of other people. I think we're very, very fortunate. Yeah, that's a great point, Mindy. And the, the family nature of the openness, the transparency, sharing, the thing I would add to that is resilience. We're, we're resilient we're tough. You know, if it was 110 degrees in this tent, we'd all still be here. If it was pouring rain, we'd still be here because it's our industry. We're committed to it. We're passionate about it. We work through it all. And I think that the resilience, a lot of family businesses out privately held, 
just awesome people, awesome companies, and I think there's a resilience factor there. I think there's a big trust factor. Yeah. Just saying, like the risk we take as an industry, think about it, the conversations you have with your banker, think about your friends that might work in the banking industry or stock market. Like we actually take more risk than most investment bankers could ever stomach in a lifetime, and we do it before Monday mornings, half over. You know, we're, we're resilient. Somebody once said to me, we're licensed gamblers. <laughs> <laughs> licensed, yeah, yeah. Yeah, licensed gamblers. That's good. And it's definitely that resilience that uh, is one of the things that, that we all love about our industry is a lot of passion. Um, but there is the realities that, that we have discussed today, the cost increases, the labor, some of the challenges that, that in the foreseeable future. But uh, I have as much confidence as, as Jim and Mindy do in the resilience and strength of our industry. So. Yeah, I was going to add to it, Bill, just a, an optimism, you know, because the, the nature of working with flowers and the other part is there are a lot of small businesses, family-owned. Leaders are optimists, and farmers are also optimists, and I think those two factors do make us optimistic people. We also work in the North American economy, the United States and Canada. We have the most resilient economy in the world, and I think that also gives me a lot of confidence that, you know, if you're planning in, for production for 2023, plan for what's normal. Don't plan that it's going to be like crazy, crazy big. And also don't plan a really lousy year because you might have one. So you got to be careful about that, like kind of planning for that middle. Like look back on your history, understand your data, what's in the data from this spring, whether it be that seasonality we talked about earlier, whether it be particular container sizes that maybe have better sales velocity than others. How can we plan for what's going to work well? But Think about the cost of your square footage, really understanding your costs really well, and then plan to optimize that square footage. How can we get the best return on the square footage throughout the course of the year? But I think it's important to be optimistic. I, well, I totally agree with Jim. You know, people ask me all the time, how are you guys planning for next year? And not fearfully. I'm, I'm like, I am looking forward to next year and, and I'm wondering, I'm like, well, how is this all going to play out? And when, if we have to hone in on our numbers and look at it, a lot of the garden centers that we've worked with, they've, they're looking at what did they do from 2019 to 2020 and kind of gauging that way. Cause they're unsure and then bumping those numbers up a little bit. So um, but I'm with Jim, very, very optimistic about next year. Yeah, I think that, you know, people, like, people love plans. And I think that we learned that in the pandemic. That's a good source of optimism, too, and being realistic about the data. Uh, you know, the, the hard work kind of rolling up our sleeves to really understand the production planning, you know, looking through where did the waste happen? What stuff ended up getting dumped and then why? Was it just strictly weather? Because... The weather's got to get better next year. I mean, that just math, like scientifically, isn't it? It have to be better. It, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Can you work on that? Yeah. That's, I shot one up there. Yeah. They're good. No, they got us covered. Right. Yeah, well, my, my mom always used to tell us when we were like planning and stuff, she'd be like, well, work like everything depends on you and pray like everything depends on God. Yeah. So we got to get better weather. Which is very good advice. Are there any other questions before we uh, we wrap up this panel discussion and get back out in the gardens looking at some plants? 
No more questions? Well, thank you all very much. And on behalf of Jim and Mindy, and on behalf of Ball Seed, thank you very much for attending. Thank you, guys. One of the ways I always close any discussion I have is that we are blessed to work in an industry that really does sell beautiful products that make everybody's life better. So uh, enjoy that fact and be confident moving forward.